Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast. So Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. We're back with Michael Adams from the Forgotten Australian podcast, 
who I'm sure you'll remember left us at the end of the last episode of Australian True Crime with the name of a crook he believed could be the key to solving an 80-year cold case. That name was Lionel Charles Thomas, but don't get too used to it because if there was one thing this guy loved, it was changing his name. You'll have to keep your wits about you because over the course of this episode, as he lies, cheats, murders, but also romances his way around Australia and New Guinea, Lionel will go by no less than three more names. He's definitely a colourful character. It's easy to understand how Michael Adams became so intrigued by him when he popped up in his research. He was born in 1905 in Victoria. His father had the name of Thomas Thomas. He was a veteran railway worker. Thomas had a daughter first, Florence. He and his wife had Lionel in 1905. In 1925, Florence married a chap called Fred Stevens. So Lionel, Fred, his brother-in-law, and Florence, his sister, were a trio of burglars in Melbourne at the sort of start of the Depression. From sort of about September 1930, for about six months in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, there were just these string of burglaries. They were arrested, charged, and um, they were going to be committed to trial. Fred seemed to have done a deal with the cops, so the charges were dropped against Florence, and Fred and Lionel both pleaded guilty. It seemed like a deal had been done. So he and his brother-in-law both got sentenced to about three and a half years in Pentridge. They were both released in June and and July in 1934. So Lionel, he hooked up with a woman called Muriel Croft. Now, Muriel's husband, Thomas, he didn't have a criminal record like Lionel did. So Muriel suggested to Lionel, hey, why don't you become Thomas Croft? So we'll just press pause on Thomas Croft at this point. On the 1st of October 1934, so we're talking three months after he got out of jail, at Carnegie Station, a station master named Tom Norwood was doing the night shift when someone came up to his office window as he was counting money that he was going to put onto a pay train bound for Melbourne. was counting money. It was £137, I think, all up. This guy stuck a gun at him and said, give me the money. Now, Tom Norwood, the station master, was behind a security grill and he made the mistake of turning and running, and this assailant shot him twice in the back. So the police converged on the scene. The station master, Tom Norwood, bled out. He died there. There was a big manhunt, lots of investigations. They had witnesses who said they'd be able to identify the assailant, but they kind of hit a dead end pretty quickly. Now we cut to Sydney, five weeks later, November 1934. It's the Depression. We're on Oxford Street, Darlinghurst, and two men who work for Wynn's department store are walking along one handle each, carrying a bag of money. And as they enter the laneway, two men run up behind them, rub pepper into their eyes, grab the bag, and run along the laneway down the steps to a waiting car. Now, the two men with the pepper in their eyes ran after these robbers. One of them actually grabbed onto the back of the bumper bar of the car. One of the robbers leaned out, said, let go. The bloke didn't, so he shot him. Uh, He shot him in the groin. The guy survived, the guy who was shot in the groin. But, you know, whoever was caught for this, if they were convicted, they'd face attempted murder, and that was a capital offence. You'd get a death sentence for it. It might be commuted, but you would get a death sentence for it. So we cut now again 
to August 1935, about half a mile from where the, the first pepper robbery was, a guy is walking with a man who's about to buy two Ford motor vehicles. They've just gone to the bank and they've got out about 700 pounds, which is the money to be used in the in the purchase. And as they're walking along, a man jumps up from behind a car and throws pepper into the eyes of the man who's going to buy the car. The assailant grabs the bag of money and legs it. The police are very, very interested in the other man who was there. He was the one who'd organized this deal, who'd accompanied this man to the bank. Under pressure, this guy cracked and said, yep, I set him up. I was involved. His name was O'Connell. We're going to come back to him. George O'Connell. So the cops quickly had an idea that the man they were after was Lionel Charles Thomas, aka Thomas Croft, who by this stage was living in Sydney with his fake wife, Muriel Croft. They put out a warrant for his arrest, and a couple of weeks later, a police sergeant saw him on the street, said, stick him up. So our man Lionel Thomas Croft is uh, found guilty. He's sentenced to, I think, four and a half years, all told, because he's also sentenced for that unlicensed pistol. So when he's released, he returns to Melbourne, and he's living up at Swan Hill with his folks. At the same time, his former accomplice, O'Connell, is also released. And O'Connell goes to the police in Melbourne in 1939 and says, Lionel Charles Thomas, a.k.a. Thomas Croft, told me a bunch of things when we were knocking around together, and he basically confessed to the Carnegie Station Master murder. The police go up to Swan Hill and they interview Lionel Charles Thomas for seven hours, and he maintains he wasn't even in Melbourne in 1934, except briefly, which is clearly a lie because he'd been in Pentridge all of the first half of 1934. He's not charged, and that's the end of the investigation into the Carnegie murder at that point. So we're going to cut again, and we're going to cut to 1945, when his former accomplice, O'Connell, again goes to the Melbourne police and says, Lionel Charles Thomas, aka Thomas Croft, is the man who killed the Carnegie station master. And this time there's another witness, and she's a nurse formerly from Sydney, who lived with Lionel Charles Thomas in Sydney at the time, and she also tells the police that he spoke of committing this murder back in 1934. Now that they had two witnesses, they took the allegations a bit more seriously. They went up to Swan Hill. They interviewed Lionel there. He denied all knowledge. They said, look, you know, you're going to have to come on the train back to Russell Street with us. On the train, you know, it was a 14-hour trip, denied all knowledge, continued to deny everything in Russell Street, And then after 28 hours of interrogation, he suddenly confessed. He said, yep, I did it. So he went to the committal hearing and his defense was that he had made the confession under torture. So the police had handcuffed his hands behind his back. They'd blindfolded him. They'd put a device on his head and tightened it and said, if you don't sign this statement we've typed, we're going to squeeze this until your head pops. The police objected to this, said it was absolute bullshit. No, that none of that happened. The judge uh, committed him to trial for the murder. So the jury retires and the jury comes back. They can't decide. So Lionel Charles Thomas went to trial again. And he went to trial in October. The verdict is we can't decide. Lionel Charles Thomas goes back to trial in November and spoiler alert, Another hung jury. Lionel Charles Thomas is remanded 
for a fourth trial in the next sessions in December 1945, and the police drop the charges before it goes ahead. Lionel Charles Thomas walks. So Lionel Charles Thomas resurfaces in Sydney, but now he's not Lionel Charles Thomas, and he's not Thomas Croft. He's now Fred Stevens. So he's using his brother-in-law's name. And he hooks up with a woman named Pearl Jackson for a little while until she issues a warrant against him for stealing a ring. But the police can't find him in Sydney. That's because he's gone to the far-flung outpost of Blacktown in the Sydney's west. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Lionel Charles Thomas, throughout his career when he wasn't in jail or robbing people, was a baker. So he got work in, in Blacktown at Hebblewhite's Bakery. And he meets this woman, Phyllis Page, and she works as a cleaner at Blacktown Council. Phyllis has had a hard life. She was married to a nice chap named Norman, and he died when he was 35 of a stroke, uh, leaving her like right at the start of the Depression with two young children. So she raised these two children, Norman and Jean, raised them as a single mother, worked really hard, and in 1946, she meets Lionel Charles Thomas, a.k.a. Thomas Croft, now going as Fred Stevens, and within you know maybe a year... By mid-1947, he's moved into her house as a boarder, and she and he are discussing getting married. But before he came to live with, with Phyllis, he'd actually been staying with another chap in Blacktown, again as a boarder, and this guy's name was Arthur Graham. And, you know, while Arthur was out, our man helped himself to Arthur's papers, so he had a backup set of ID now and another potential identity that he could use. So this came into play in um, October of 1948 when... 
he said to Phyllis, you know, who he wanted to marry, I've got to go to Rabal in New Guinea. I'm going to make some money there, work as a baker. And he enters the country under the name of Arthur Graham, this, you know, stolen identity. And there he goes on a rampage. It's later reported by a really credible son police roundsman that he's becomes quite infamous in Rabaul. He's supposedly involved in assaults on Papuan boys and girls. What do you mean by assaults, by the way? As in sexual assaults. Oh, my God. Violent assaults. He's deported from Papua New Guinea and he's to arrive back in Sydney. But he has to leave the country under the name of Fred Stevens because he's going to be met at Sydney Airport by poor old Phyllis. So he can't really turn up and say, oh, yeah, I'm also known as Arthur Graham. He has to go as Fred. Problem being, as Fred, he's wanted because back in 1946, there was a warrant for his arrest for stealing Pearl Jackson's ring. So when he arrives at Sydney Airport, he's arrested. And uh, guess who didn't turn up to the committal hearing? Pearl Jackson. The police had tried, 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 tried to find her and she was never heard from again. And supposedly, he was heard saying, they'll never find her. She'll never testify. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But in any event, he and uh, Phyllis went back to Blacktown and they made plans now. She was going to sell her house. She was going to marry him. They were going to go on a driving holiday. They went to Goulburn, Canberra, Cooma, and then by about the 12th of February, they were on the far south coast at Eden. They were seen by numerous witnesses all over the place. And one of these witnesses had kept a diary for 25 years every single day. And she noted seeing these people near their campsite. Lionel and Phyllis had promised the children that they would write, that she would write. And she wrote on the 19th of February saying, we're having a great time. He's so good at camping. I'm super happy, etc." She signed it Darby and Joan. So Darby and Jones, the old sort of colloquialism for, you know, an old couple who are sort of, you know, rambling around together. Super happy. Super and happy. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Two days later, Darby turned up at Ringwood at his parents' family's home, yeah. minus Joan. He mm. didn't mention Phyllis at all. He unloaded the panel van, all the stuff, all the camping stuff was stuck into the garage. He didn't seem stressed. He said to Florence and Fred, how about we do some road trips? So they did. And by this stage, Phyllis's kids are wondering, where is mum? Lionel then comes back to Sydney and he kind of realises, I mean, the kids are asking questions now. It's probably, you know, time to, to do a big runner. So he goes back to Melbourne. He sells the panel van. He says to his brother and his sister-in-law, I'm going to Perth. And off he goes. So by the uh, 11th of May, he's in Perth. Phyllis is still not officially missing and the police are not looking for her. One of the first things he does in Perth is place a personal ad, man seeks woman view matrimony. And he meets Oh my yeah, god. He meets a woman called Jean Cheatham, who is just actually estranged from her husband who's a grazier. On the first meeting, he proposes marriage, like an hour into it. She's like, whoa, steady on. But she's still willing to still to keep seeing him. So she does. Like three days after that, he chats up a 19-year-old girl who's working as a waitress and they go for a walk. He walks her home to the boarding house she's staying at. He asks her if she'll marry him. She says, that's silly. I don't even know your name. Next time they see each other, he asks again, will you marry me? They keep dating. 
he uh, meets her mother. Her mother's really taken with him and basically gives permission for the, to, for the marriage to go ahead. And they set a date. He gives her a three-diamond engagement ring or shows it to her, again, one that belonged to Phyllis. Now, in early June, back in Sydney, Phyllis's son and daughter have finally got the police to take notice. And over the next six weeks, undercover, completely off the books, posing as guys just on a camping trip, they go following the trail of evidence that we've heard. So they cover 10,000 miles in the space of six weeks undercover, piecing it all together, particularly the chronology. While he's been in uh, this country town up on the north of Perth, he's actually written to his brother-in-law saying, you know, I've got my life sorted out. You know, I don't need to worry about anything anymore. Um, and he's given an indication of which town he's in. So the police go to this country town where he is and he's gone by this stage. But they find people who've known him recently, and he said he's going to get married, and his name is Arthur Graham. Now, in WA at this time, notices of marriages had to be posted outside the registry office in Perth. So right there in black and white is Arthur Graham to marry Dorothy Truslove, Saturday, 22nd of July at this church. So they go to Dorothy Truslove and say, Hey, where's your fiance? Oh, she says, oh, he's staying at this Crystal Hotel in town. So on Friday, the night of Friday, the 21st of July, 1950, they're waiting in his room when he returns. And he returns with Jean Cheatham, the woman he met through the personals ad. So he's going to. Oh, my God. He's going to have sex with her the night before he gets married to this woman. So he's arrested, he's charged, and he's extradited to Sydney to, to face trial. This time, however, they've got like 43 witnesses. There's no hung jury. There's no retrial. The jury retires for less than an hour, and he's found guilty of the murder of Phyllis, even though her body has never been found, and he won't say where it is. The big headline was, though, the police could finally reveal that he had been their number one suspect in the Yandera Paycar bombing. They'd just never been able to prove it against him. Lionel Charles Thomas hanged himself in his cell. He left a note saying he was innocent. Now, the question that remains, did he do the Yandera Paycar bombing? And it's, you know, it's not very often in these cases, you know, you end up basically with a lot of questions. But in this case, I could say definitively what happened, whether he was responsible or not. So he changed his name or he went by Frederick Arthur Stevens, his brother-in-law's name. And that was the name he enlisted under when he left Pentridge in July of 1941. And military files are very, very detailed in where people are, when and where. So Lionel Charles Thomas was in Darwin in mid-November 1941. His next entry in his military file is January of 1942. That's because he committed a minor offence. So the question was, could he have been in Sydney on the 8th of December 1941? Now, theoretically... You could certainly get from Darwin to Sydney and back in that period, but you couldn't do that as a soldier, and you certainly couldn't do that when Australia was at war. There's no way he would have been able to leave his camp in Darwin without being reported as absent without leave. And even if he could do that, there would have been military checkpoints. There was you no know, rationing in terms of petrol and that sort of thing. He might have done a lot of bad, bad things, but the Yandera Paycar ambush, killing three men, was not one of them. 
So who knows? You know, I don't. I don't think they'll. Unless someone finds a diary from their grandfather or great grandfather confessing to the crime, I think the uh, Yandera pay car will remain unsolved. What a bombshell! And speaking of bombshells, would you believe there are actually more crimes and misdemeanors of Lionel Charles Thomas? that went under the radar because of his incredible capacity to commit them on the same days as major international historical events. I'm not kidding. You can hear all about it on Michael Adams' podcast, Forgotten Australia. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you to our guest, Michael Adams. We'll be back next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.